In our culture of sound bites, it's easy for Jesus' words to be taken out of context and misunderstood. What do we make of these challenging words? Jesus Said What? is a book written by Christopher Kennedy. The book brings clarity to 15 of Jesus' most difficult teachings on topics such as money, family relationships, and consequences for sin. Each chapter explores one teaching of Jesus by looking at his full treatment of the topic, parallel passages throughout the Bible, and the biblical context to help you come to a faithful and faith-enriching understanding of his words. Jesus doesn't always tell us what you want to hear, but he always tells you what you need to hear, and even the hard words are a gift given to you in love. Christopher Kennedy is a writer, podcaster, and the pastor of a large congregation in San Antonio, Texas. He and his wife have four children. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Family Shield is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. Thanks, Reverend Kennedy, for being our guest today on Family Shield. Okay, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you again. I am always happy to interview you and love reading your books. This was... Uh, some of it's very challenging, the, the hard uh, teachings of Jesus. In chapter 1, which is entitled, A Teacher Come From God, you talk about some techniques Jesus used when he taught. Explain to our listeners how Jesus used questions, overstatement, and hyperbole. Jesus was the master teacher, and as our creator, he understands how people are wired and how we engage with teachings best. And so he used a variety of different techniques to really get to the heart of people. Uh, questions. You know, a teacher knows that if you just give out information, sometimes it's not really owned by the person who receives it. So if you can get them to have to think through and talk through and discover an answer, then they're going to feel more ownership of it. You mentioned overstatement and hyperbole. So these are a couple different kinds of non-literal communication. Uh, Jesus often went with the shock factor. He would say things in such a way to really get attention and really drive it into our memory. And so overstatement, uh, that would be something that is possible, but it's not really intended. So, for example, uh, Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Well, we're pretty sure he doesn't mean he wants people walking around with their hands chopped off. But it's an exaggerated way, a, a memorable way to say, if there's something that's getting between you and God, eliminate that from your life. You know, do whatever you can to keep things from driving a wedge between you and God, and that's what sin does. And then hyperbole takes a little bit farther. Uh, hyperbole would be an impossibility. Uh, for example, Jesus talked about uh, it's impossible for a rich person to enter heaven just as it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Well, if we take those, you know, a literal needle, very small, camel's very big, it's just not going to happen. And so sometimes Jesus would use a statement like that to say, okay, apart from the grace of God, it's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. 
I think understanding those things as you as people read your book is critical because uh, it's going to come through. You're going to see those over and over. So why does Scripture interpret Scripture? Our best source for understanding the Bible is the Bible itself. And the reason for that is that you know, ultimately it's the same author. You know, God was the one who uh, oversaw the process of, of the writing and compilation of Scripture. He worked through people and their unique personalities and their writing styles. Uh, but ultimately, God is the one who's directing all of Scripture as it's put together. And so that means that there's a consistency, a unity, a harmony with all of the Bible. And I like to think of it in terms of uh, concentric circles. Um, take the words of Jesus. Okay, what else did Jesus say about this? Because Jesus' words interpret other words of Jesus. We get a, the full range of what Jesus said on the topic, because you can take something in isolation and you can run all kinds of different directions with it. So what else did Jesus say? And then you can expand that. What else did the New Testament say? Uh, because then we're coming from the perspective of the time of Christ and forward. Uh, what else is said on that topic? And then bring in the Old Testament. What does the entire Bible, including the Old Testament, say? Uh, because, again, there's a unity of Scripture. God is behind all of it. And that keeps us from going off in all kinds of different directions, but to stay true to the central themes of the Bible in trying to understand some of these difficult words. Absolutely. Yes. Very good. All right. So um, in Chapter 2, you talk about some challenging words about the family. And that chapter, Chapter 2, is called Hate My Family. Did Jesus really tell us to hate our family. Let me just read Luke 14, 26, because it's based on that. Mm -hmm. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, does Jesus really want us to hate our family? Yeah, that word hate, boy, that's that's a strong word. And, you know, there's a whole lot of pushback to that word hate. So the word hate, it can mean, you know, you absolutely despise something. Uh, The Greek word there also can be a word of comparison. So if you love one thing, then you love something else less. By comparison, you hate it. So Jesus is not telling us to be hateful toward our family, because that would contradict other things that the Bible says. That whole idea of Scripture interprets Scripture. you got the fourth commandment telling us to honor our mother and father. Well, we can't honor them and hate them at the same time. So Jesus is not negating the fourth commandment. You've got the book of Ephesians, chapters 5 and 6, talk about relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, and all of those are to be loving and respectful relationships. And so Jesus isn't telling us to be hateful, to be negative, to be unkind. It's simply a matter of priorities that comparatively... We love God more than we love anybody or anything else. And so really, he's not telling us to lower our level of love for other people. He's actually telling us to raise the level of love for God. Mm -hmm. So what he's really telling us is related to how we must put God first in our lives, correct? Exactly. Exactly. There's only room for one on the throne. (laughs) Yeah. Very good. So can our families be a God, and can our children be a God? 
you know, anything can be a god. Um, money, job, status, reputation, anything can be a god. Anything that we put above God or anything, I was thinking about that a little bit more recently and. uh, Martin Luther in his large catechism talks about the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, and he says a god is anything that you look to for all good, anything that you run to for refuge in all times of distress. You know, think about if there's something in your life that if that were to fall apart, it would just destroy you. Well, then maybe we're putting too much emphasis on that thing, because really, as long as we have God in our lives things will hold together. Life can get very hard. You know, the losses of life can really discourage us. But as long as we have God in our life, things will hold together. There is reason for hope. And so, you know, only God is the one that we can ultimately look to for all good. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure we put the Lord first. And that even means our children and our spouse. We could talk about that a long time, but I'm going to move on here. Um, In Chapter 5, you also talk about challenges uh, related to families, and it's entitled No Marriage in Heaven, and it's based on Mark 12, 25. I'm going to just read that. Uh, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Um, Talk a little bit more about no marriage in heaven and what you share in your book. Sure. And I want to back up just a moment. You mentioned, uh, you know, another family matter. Um, the chapters in this book, in large part, uh, came out of a survey that I did, and I gave some of the most challenging words of Jesus to my congregation and to some others and asked them, you know, which ones uh, do you find most difficult? And a lot of the ones that got the most votes were related to family matters. Mm-hmm. And so this one, too, you know, we value marriage, um, and marriage points us ahead to the gospel, in fact. Um, You know, Jesus said that there's no marriage in heaven, that at the day of the resurrection, that all of that uh, is no more, and that's because there's no need for marriage in heaven. Our hopes are perfectly fulfilled, our needs are perfectly met in Christ. And so on this earth, marriage points us ahead to God's love for us in Jesus, that uh, in Jesus there's a perfect union between Christ and his bride, the Church. There's perfect sacrifice, perfect love, perfect devotion, perfect commitment. And so uh, everything we see on earth is a, it's a copy, but the original is Jesus' love for us, and that's the perfect marriage, the perfect union of Christ and his people. Wonderful. So why is the resurrection at the center of God's plan for salvation? Yeah, the resurrection is an interesting topic. I'm actually preparing to, to preach on uh, Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life this weekend at, at my church. Mm-hmm. As we're going through a sermon series on Jesus' I am statements in John's Gospel. So I've been doing a lot of thinking about the resurrection. And a lot of times we think about you know, our eternal hope is, I die and I go to heaven. And so our body stays here, and our souls go to be with the Lord. But the Bible teaches that's actually not the end. The end is a reunion of body and soul. You know, sin leads to death, and death is this unnatural ripping apart of body and soul. 
how God made us mm-hmm, to be. Mm-hmm. And resurrection is putting those pieces back together. Our souls made perfect are reunited with bodies made perfect. You know, no achy bones, no no arthritis, no poor eyesight. I mean, everything is made perfect. And so think of, you know, the Garden of Eden. You've got this perfect physical world that God made, and uh, God's not done with this world. He's going to make a perfect physical world again when Christ returns, and that includes, you know, our physicality as well. And it just speaks to the how far-ranging God's salvation is, and that He loves every part of us, from your head to your toe. He loves every part of you and will not forsake any part of you. He will raise you back on the last day. Absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Easter. I'm going to make some announcements, and then we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the resurrection. Uh, I've been uh, putting together a Bible study, or I think I am. I'm I'm not anywhere near where I wanted to be, on uh, encounters with Jesus during the resurrection, his resurrection. And uh, uh, so I have lots of questions as we talk just a few minutes after the announcements about Easter since it's coming quickly. I thought it would be appropriate to, uh, to share that a little bit more. But uh, let me make some announcements here. Family Shield Ministries is composed of Christians who care about families and the gospel, transforming lives now and for eternity. The Family Shield radio program is aired on more than 50 radio stations and on many podcast platforms. We also coordinate the counter-cult ministry and our educational and evangelism services. We encourage our listeners to become a partner with us in accomplishing Family Shield's vision and mission. Join us in prayer, mail a donation, or give online at www.familyshieldministries.org. We want to thank Reverend Mark Cook, who gave a donation recently. Thank you. If you're a Thrivent Financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries. Go to their website, www.thrivent.com slash Thrivent Choice, or call Thrivent 1-800-847-4836, and one of their employees will help you. All Thrivent gifts support Family Shield's outreach ministries. Please remember you need to sign up each year by the end of March. To contact us, email us at witness2family at gmail.com. Now I want to go back to my guest, Christopher Kennedy, author of Jesus Said What? And uh, now, Pastor Kennedy, tell our listeners how they can obtain a copy of your book. Uh, I know CPH has them. That's www.cph.org. But is there any other place that they can get your book? Uh, Amazon would be the other uh, real easy place to get it. So cph.org and amazon.com. Okay. And, uh, yeah, appreciate people checking out the book, and I hope it's a blessing. I hope so, too. I think it would be a great Bible study series for congregations. Did you do that after you did your survey? Did you do a Bible study on these with your members? You know, all the books I've done, so this is book number four for me, started out as a sermon series. Mm. And then uh, the sermon series only went through Jesus' statements in Mark's Gospel, and then Concordia Publishing House said, hey, we love the idea, can you expand it to the other three Gospels, too? So that's when I did the survey Mm. to see 
you know, which statements do people want to look at more deeply. Mm -hmm. And so it started as a sermon series, got expanded to a book, and actually at the end of each chapter, and this is true with the other books too, there are a series of study questions. So that's already built in uh, to make it a real easy resource for Bible studies. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Since we'll be celebrating Easter soon, let's talk a little more about the resurrection of Christ. Acts 1-3 says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So we know God's word tells us about at least seven encounters with Jesus after the resurrection. Um, But he was here for 40 days and nights, so I think he had a lot of other encounters that we don't know about, and we may never know until we get to heaven. Just a a comment about that. I don't know if you would agree with that. But one of them that we don't talk a lot about is uh, the encounter with the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And it was uh, begins with Simon Peter deciding to go fishing and uh, the disciples following him. He was uh, a leader, and they followed Simon Peter. So, Pastor Kennedy, would you share more about that encounter with the risen Lord that is based? And you can read about it in John chapter 21. It's a powerful story, Jesus and Peter uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, uh, they have this amazing conversation in which uh, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And then Jesus says, to go feed my sheep. And he says it in a few different words each time, but essentially the message is the same. Three times, do you love me? Three times, you know, Lord, you know I love you. Why do you keep asking this? And then three times, go feed my sheep, which parallels with uh, Peter's threefold denial of Jesus before Jesus' crucifixion. So there's this beautiful moment of restoration and reinstatement as a disciple, and, hey, I've still got work for you to do. I know you messed up. I know you fell short, but I'm not done with you. Go feed my sheep. Go, go do my work. And you know, what a powerful moment. What a moment of redemption for Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I know that story, but it was only when I was rereading chapter 21 of John that I realized that story is after the resurrection. I don't think I ever caught that before. And I do love at the very beginning of this when they they were out fishing and uh, when they realized uh, Jesus was on the shore— uh, and they got there, Jesus had prepared them breakfast. <laughs> it was like Jesus cooked yeah, after the that. resurrection. And uh, there's another place, and I don't have it in front of me, where Jesus actually ate food after the resurrection. So uh, we can really learn a lot about what our glorified bodies are going to be like when we look at Jesus. And I think one of the things that people want to know when they have faith in Christ and have loved ones go to heaven, talking about family issues. My sister, Jill, wanted me to tell her if she would know my mom and dad when she got to heaven. She just wanted, I want to see them again. And I said yes, because I, not only do I believe that, Jesus knew his disciples and his disciples knew him. So I think uh, we won't recognize each other, but you know, I, I can't say that for absolute truth, but I just believe 
that is true, although you said, you know, no marriage in heaven, and that's true, but still we'll probably know our spouse, won't we? You know, my uh, favorite story along those lines is Jesus' transfiguration Mm -hmm. when Moses and Elijah appeared, and the disciples recognized Moses and Elijah, even though they'd never met them before. And so that says to me that, you know, after death, when we are in the presence of the Lord, that uh, we are able to recognize even people we've never met before. Interesting. Gives me a lot of hope for a a reunion, and the resurrection, too, means, you know, having bodies, we'll have eyes where we can see each other, and arms when we can embrace one another again. And uh, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians 4, talks about the return of Christ, and He's coming with all his saints, so, uh-huh. you know, we're all going to be That's together. wonderful. Yeah. I look forward to heaven. I want to see Jesus, but I do have two adult sons that have passed from death to life, and I believe, because they had faith in Christ, they're there. And and I, I, I believe that, and I think it does give people comfort when we know for sure they knew Christ and, and uh, that we, you know, we'll see them. You know, maybe when we get there, it won't matter. <laughs> if it isn't exactly the way we think it is. But I think we can learn a lot about Jesus and even our resurrection, you know, what it's going to be like. I mean, <laughs> you know, we don't have time, but but I like, you know, when, when we talk about Jesus and the resurrection, I always say, now, did he walk through walls or could he appear and disappear at will? Because it's there several times. Uh, the door was locked, but there he was with, uh, with the disciples. And some of those things we don't know and we'll never know completely. But as we look at those words, you know, you have to figure – there was something a little different. He could do a lot of the things that he did before the resurrection, but in that risen body, he seemed to appear and disappear at will at times. And yet they recognized him. He recognized them. Uh, he ate food. He prepared food for the disciples. Wow. So much for us to to take in, and some of it we'll never know till we get to heaven, and that's okay, too. Any other thoughts you have about the resurrection, and we just want to transition to one more topic. Oh, I've got all kinds of thoughts about the resurrection. <laughs> Me, too. <laughs> but I'm with you. I think the uh, post-resurrection stories are fascinating, and uh, also you mentioned that seven stories we know of post-resurrection appearances, also in First Corinthians 15, it mentions that there was a time when he appeared to 500 right, people, right. and that story is not recorded. Right. So yeah. I've always wondered, huh, what was that story all about? Well, I wonder, and I don't know for sure, because it could be eight then, whether that was when he rose up into heaven, because he told them to come. Uh, and, and, you know, it could be that was the time, because 500 people is a lot of people to have seen him. Yeah. Um, but, uh, again, 40 days and only seven stories that we know of. There are others. Um, but, that, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a cool idea to just bounce some of those things around. But, yes, uh, we are told 500 people at one time saw him. That's a lot of people to have seen him in his resurrected body. Anyway, uh, one of your uh, challenging words in Chapter 16 is only one way to God and uh, that's from uh, John fourteen six. Why is this biblical fact so hard for people to understand? And how can we help people understand that there really is only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ? Yeah, this is this is a real hard one 
for some. Um, you know, we're used to having choices and options. If if I don't like one doctor, I'll go to the next doctor. If you know, if I don't like a certain church, I can always go to another church. But we're used to having options. So, you know, if if, if Jesus doesn't really work for me as Savior, you know, is there somewhere else I can look? And uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. So not a way, but the way, which means the one and only. And um, you know, sometimes it can feel like maybe God's excluding people. If Jesus is the way, that means everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus, that God doesn't want them in heaven. And that's not the case at all. The Bible teaches us that God desires for all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, I think that there's some some false understandings, and I mentioned these in that chapter. One false understanding is, um, you know, the idea that God is limiting the number of people who come to heaven by making Jesus the only way. And that's assuming that, you know, the door was just wide open before Jesus, that everybody could come, and that when Jesus came, God narrowed that down. Uh, but that's not the case. Uh, sin excludes all of us from eternal life. I mean, God will not accept uh, any blemish in his holy presence. You know, all of our sins make us unacceptable before a holy God. And so that would be zero. And because of Jesus, there's a whole lot more than zero. There's a lot of people, countless you know, multitudes, the book of Revelation says, more than you can number, who are going to be with God forever. So giving us Jesus as our Savior is an act of grace, an act of inclusion, not an act of exclusion. Um, some people also feel that Jesus is the only Savior, that that's you know, a word of condemnation, but it's a word of invitation, a word to believe in him. And Jesus teaches us that the Son of Man came not to condemn, but to give life. And if we're bothered by the fact that not all are saved, according to that teaching, well, we should be bothered by that. Mm -hmm. And we should do everything in our power to reach out to others so that they can have that gift of life that's offered to us in Jesus. Absolutely, yes. So only, there is only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. And the Father wants everyone to know Christ. And all of us, even those that haven't placed their faith in Christ, have the ability, while they're still on earth, to place their faith in Christ and be forgiven and have eternal life. That's the good news that we want to keep sharing, and our time is just about up, so I can't ask you for a response. I know what it would be. But uh, we want to let our listeners know that uh, they are loved. They are loved by us, and they're loved by Jesus Christ. He loves you more than your mom and dad and family members. He loves you so much. God the Father sent his son to the cross for you and for me and for Pastor Kennedy. Thank you so much for listening today. This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Again, my guest has been Reverend Christopher Kennedy, and his new book is Jesus Said What? And you need to get a copy of this book. It's going to be a great Bible study for your congregation. Thanks so much for listening. God bless your day. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. 
To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63116. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Thank you.